Happy Easter, Christ is risen. And you're supposed to say, Christ is risen indeed. I'm Pastor Jason. Welcome to Schweitzer. Welcome to this online celebration of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We're so glad that you've joined us today, whether you're in Springfield, you're in Southwest Missouri, or you're someplace around the world. We want to welcome you as we celebrate with joy the resurrection of Jesus. We've got a great service planned out for us today with songs, with a sermon, with a, with a time of prayer. Speaking of, of praying, if you'd like to pray along with us, you're welcome to do that. There's a portal off to the side of the screen where you can enter and somebody would be happy to pray with you. Also, if you'd like to chat, we'd invite you to do that. And this next week, we'd invite you to check out social media pages from Schweitzer as we've got new online content coming out every day. We're so glad you joined us today. Let's join our voices together and worship the resurrected King. now, friends, we come to a time of prayer. We are invited by Jesus himself, the resurrected one, to lift our prayers to the Lord. So would you join me in lifting up our hearts to the Lord today? Kind Father, we give you thanks that on this glorious day, this Easter day, we can turn to you, we can celebrate what you've done in Jesus, and we know that the victory that Christ has won on this day is something that impacts our lives. In all kinds of different ways, we see your resurrection power at hand and at work in us. As we look outside in all of creation, we see trees, 
and bushes coming to new life. And we're reminded that in there, in many places in our own life, you bring about your resurrection. You bring new hope, you bring about new faith, and you bring about new love. In places where we encountered disappointment, in places where we encountered death, in places where we encountered despair, you have drawn close to us, and through the power and the presence of Jesus, you have spoken deeply into our lives. So we give you thanks today that resurrection touches us in so many places. And even as we give thanks, we ask that you would draw close to us in this time where we know so many things, where we need the power of Jesus present today. As together throughout the world, we face this coronavirus. We pray for the healing that comes through Christ. We pray for the hope of a new day that comes through Christ. Would you strengthen and encourage and empower our medical workers? Would you give wisdom to those who are charged with leading us, whether they're in government or they're in business communities or in faith communities or in educational communities? Would you give wisdom to people who face great questions about what is ahead? We also pray, Jesus, that you would bring your resurrection power to bear upon each and every one of us in our homes as we've been asked to stay at home. We know that staying at home for many of us is a hard task. We sense this, the degree that we're separated from one another. We sense the degree that we can't interact. We each of us have hopes and dreams and aspirations that we're asked to put on hold. And we wanna know for how long would you give us patience? Would you give us the patience that comes in knowing that you bring about resurrection? We need your help and your strength and your healing. We look to you, we turn to you, we trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers, for loving us, for caring for us, for guiding us, looking after us, and strengthening us. We are so grateful that we can turn to you on this day of resurrection and be reminded in our hearts, minds, and spirits that you will lead us as the Good Shepherd. And together with one voice, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer. And so now we say our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we've gone through Holy Week, a number of the stories that we see reflected around Jesus is that there are people who come around him who out of, not out of their abundance, but out of love, decide that they're gonna give something of their life because Jesus has impacted them so. We wanna thank you here at Schweitzer for being generous with your gifts, with your tithes and your offerings. 
you have been giving in this time of, of all kinds of great questions. You've been giving regularly. You've been giving with generous hearts. You've been giving out of love. We want to say thanks to you for, for working alongside of God in God's mission and ministry to the world. Your gifts are a great encouragement and they're a great reminder that Jesus is working with us and he's walking with us through these times. May you be encouraged that giving is an act of faith. It's an act of love. And may Jesus bless you and speak into your life as, as you give. The Lord bless you and keep you. Here at Schweitzer, 
We've had a series we've called 52 Stories where people who've experienced the transforming work of God have been sharing their stories with us. We'd invite you today to hear Doug Sanders' story. I've been coming to Shrice for fall, should be like a year now because last year I lived right behind Schweitzer. And so I couldn't get back to my home church on the other side of town. So I remember this church because I did JFL here. Um, I was raised by a single mom in, uh, in St. Louis County. Um, by the time I hit my teenage years, I fell into the wrong crowd and got introduced to drugs. And addiction led me to doing crimes because I needed to feed that addiction. So that led me to prison and I did um, 17 years straight in prison. And um, that's when the change began. First I was angry, then my heart was broken, completely broken especially over failure of, of raising my kids, leaving my kids to another man's influence. My heart was just broken because I just felt like a failure, man, a complete failure. So I just broke down and, and asked God to, to help me, man. I prayed. I, I said, Lord, if you help me get through this time, I will, I will follow you. I will praise you. I will worship you. I will... I would not go back to that old life. So that's when I made my mind up, man, to commit my life to the Lord. Having the Lord on my side, it makes it easier, man. You know, it truly does. It makes it easier. And I feel more confident than I've ever felt in my life. You know, it's not cockiness. It's humbleness, but it's confident. So I get a chance to talk to them and tell them, man, you know, and it feels good and, and it helps me, you know. Not helping them helps me too, because I want to stay on point. And um, so I just tell them the real, man. You got two choices, life or death. You know, choose life. You got faith and fear, choose faith. You know, faith moves you ahead, fear holds you back. You know, so, but it's up to you to make that choice. But I'm telling you as a living testimony, this is what it is. My name is Doug Sanders, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, friends, happy Easter today. My name is Spencer and I'm the pastor here. I'm so glad that you've joined us for worship. Uh, today, we celebrate resurrection. We celebrate new life. We celebrate that the grave is empty. Uh, we celebrate the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, both now and forever. So I'm so glad you joined with us today. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be reading from Genesis chapter 17. At least that's where we're gonna start. And uh, we've, this is part four of a series that we've been on for the last few weeks um, called Faith and Fear. And if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is we've been tracking through the story of Abraham because Abraham is a person who's a, a hero of faith and yet is also someone who struggles deeply with fear. And so we've been looking for the past few weeks at this dynamic between uh, faith and fear. And uh, we, when we see Abraham's life, we see a person who at times does these incredibly uh, 
heroically brave moments of faith. And then is also somebody who at times lives incredibly disappointing uh, life of fear. He gives into fear. And so we're looking at both his highs and his lows of his life with this dynamic of faith and fear. We started this series when we moved to worship online because none of us have ever been through anything like this before. And there's all kinds of unknowns that we're struggling with right now, all kinds of, of ways and times to be scary because of all the unknowns. And so I, I wanted to spend some time as a church uh, thinking through this dynamic of faith and fear. Uh, because something I believe to my core is that God has not created you to live in fear. God has not created you to live in fear. That's not God's will for your life, to live in fear, to make decisions based in fear, and to, and to live your life based on fear. And when you do live in fear, what you end up doing is you end up losing. When you live in fear, you end up losing because fear robs you of the life that God wants you to live. And so we've been looking at this dynamic of faith and fear. And as we explore this, what I really hope is that we all see how we can be people of faith and not people who live into fear. That we can be people of faith who don't live into fear. So it might feel odd that it's Easter and we're going to start uh, in Genesis with Abraham. Um, but when I planned this series out, I specifically wanted this passage, Genesis chapter 17, to land on today, on Easter Sunday. Because what Genesis 17 shows us is something that I think gives us a window into how we can think about Easter. And it's probably a window that not a lot of us are looking through when we think about uh, Easter and how, to, and how to approach Easter. So um, to start with, as we get into Genesis 17, uh, we're going to be reading this chapter or a few verses of this chapter. And this falls right on the heels of one of Abraham's great failures. That was Genesis 16. Last week we, we read this really disappointing uh, chapter of how, how Abraham lives in fear and makes decisions on fear. And, and so coming off this chapter, this, this, this failure of Abraham, um, a question I think starts to emerge is, is, what does God do with our fear? What does God do when we decide to live into fear? Because fear is a, is a choice that we live into. So what does God do with our fear and, and how does God respond to our fear? That's really the, the answer, I think, that we find in Genesis chapter 17. So coming off of Abraham's greatest failure, and I've said this a few times because I really want you to catch this, that this is immediately following great, Abraham's great failure. What does God do with his failure? What does God do with his fear? So here's verse one, chapter 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, we met Abram in Genesis 12. Uh, he was 75, now he's 99. God made him a promise when we first met him that he would be a father of a great nation, even though at the time he and his wife are childless and they're um, they're, they're older, they, they've been waiting, and, and now for 25 years almost, they've been waiting for this promise of, of a child so that they can become a great nation. They've just been waiting and waiting and waiting for all this time. So it says, when Abram was 99 years old, they've been waiting for 25 years, it says, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Literally, the Hebrew there for God Almighty is El Shaddai, which is a pretty famous term. Maybe you've heard that before. There's songs written about El Shaddai. And what's interesting to, about this word El Shaddai is that El Shaddai is, is a very difficult term to translate. So I'm reading from the NIV. You might be reading from a different translation of the Bible and a different translations of the Bible say this differently. Um, some other translations might say, instead of God Almighty, they might say God of hosts or um, God the warrior or God who fights for you, God who provides for you. One of my favorite translations comes from John Wesley who founded the Methodist movement. And he, he translates this El Shaddai as God all sufficient, which I just love that, God all sufficient. And so, in other words, um, God shows up to Abraham on the heels of his great failure and uh, to Abraham, who's been waiting for this promise to be, to be true for him. And God says to him, to Abraham, he says, he says I am El Shaddai. I'm, I'm all that you need, all that you've 
ever needed, all that you ever will need. I, I, I am everything that you've been looking for. I'm everything that's been missing. I am and the answer to the restlessness within your soul. I am the one who's gonna supply um, everything that you need in your life. I, I, am, I am El Shaddai. I am the answer to your fears. This is who I am. This is, this is the word that God speaks to Abraham on the heels of his failure. And he goes on and he says, so I'm El Shaddai, I'm God Almighty. So now for you, Abram, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Abram means exalted father. Uh, but uh, no, called Abram, your name will be Abraham, which means father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. And this chapter keeps going where God makes promise after promise after promise for the rest of this chapter of what he is going to do for Abraham. And so what we just read here, eight verses, and in eight verses, we read this word five times that was repeated over and over and over again about the promises that God is making to Abraham. And it's a very significant word in the Bible. And, and five times we read in these verses, we read this word um, covenant. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And if you go on and read the rest of the chapter, the, like there's 27 more verses in this chapter, you're going to read this word covenant six more times. So 11 times in this chapter, you, you read this word um, covenant. Just a little, little pro tip for you here. If you're reading the Bible and you come across a word that's repeated over and over and over again, and that word is not like and or the or he or she, it's like a significant word, you should always pay attention to that because that's the author's um, way of saying to you, hey, 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 listen up, this is, this is important. It's like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Pay attention to this word. Here's over and over and over again, this, this really significant word, this, this covenant that God is making. And of course, if you read through the Bible, you're going to come across this word covenant in very significant places in the scripture. For instance, uh, Noah and the rainbow is the sign of God's covenant. Um, Abraham, as, or, I mean, David as the king of, of Israel is, is God's covenant. Moses, as he goes up on the mountain and he brings down the law, think Ten Commandments. That's uh, God's covenant. And what you see um, throughout the scripture is that a covenant is a promise. It's, it's a commitment that God is making um, where God is saying, I will do this. I will do this for you. And when God makes a promise and he says he's going to do something, God means it. For instance, listen to how sure a covenant is in, in some different places in Scripture. Isaiah 54, listen to how it describes how sure God's covenant is. Isaiah 54 says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. So in other words, if everything else were to fall apart and the whole world would start crumbling. So if the mountains be shaken, the hills would be removed. Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. My covenant of peace be removed. It won't happen, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Or another example, Psalm 105 verse 8 says, He, the Lord, remembers his covenant. Listen to this word, forever, forever the promise he made for a thousand generations. Another example, Psalm 119, he provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant, once again, forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The, the covenant is God's promise for you. It's, 
God's promise to us. It's his commitment that he makes to us. It's, it's not the promise that we make to God and what we say we're going to do for God, but rather the covenant, a covenant that God makes is, is what God says he's going to do for us. So I want you to catch this. Coming off of Abraham's great failure, what does God do? What does God do? How does God respond to Abraham's fear? Well, he makes a covenant. He makes a promise, a commitment to him. He doesn't cast Abraham aside. and he's, God's not like, Abraham, gosh, you failed again. I need to find someone better. This, this just ain't gonna work. You know, God doesn't look at Abraham's like, man, you screwed up too many times. I gotta find someone else. God's not like, I wonder, I wonder what Lot's up to. Maybe I can find Lot. No, 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 no. He, he sticks with Abraham. This is what he does. And, and when he finds Abraham, he reaches out to Abraham. And instead of casting him aside because he's failed, instead what God does is he reaches out to him and he makes him a promise. He makes a covenant with him, a, a sure thing, something that, that Abraham can, can rely on and something that Abraham knows that God is going to be faithful to. This is what God does in the midst of failure. And so I wanted to start here in Genesis 17, even though it's kind of a strange place to start for Easter, um, because I, I wanted you to see that God's response to Abraham's failure and Abraham's fear is that he makes him a covenant, a promise. Because, because this is also God's response to my fear and my failure. And this is God's response to your fear and your failure. This is God's response to us, that when we fail, when we live in fear, when we choose not to trust in him, what God does is he makes a covenant. That God has made a covenant with you, a, a new covenant. And this is a covenant that we see that happens and takes place early on a Sunday morning when some women show up to a tomb and they find it empty. Let me share with you the story of this new covenant that God makes with you. John chapter 20, verse one says it like this. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Um, by the way, do you, do you know who the other disciple is, the one Jesus loved here that's, that's referenced here? It's, I don't know why I'm asking this. I can't hear your answer, but it's, it's the author, John. That's who this is. The other disciple is, is John. He refers to himself throughout his book in this kind of way, uh, the other disciple or the one Jesus loved, which I just love because he could have said me, but John's got like some swagger. And so he says, uh, Simon Peter was there and, and so was, you know, Jesus' best friend. That's, that's what he says. And I just, I love that. So um, Simon Peter and Jesus' best friend are there. Um, they, they hear Mary talking and, and Mary says to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, you know, Jesus' best friend, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which is a bit of a repetitive sentence because if you outrun someone, you, you get there first. But anyways, verse five, uh, he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. Why is he behind him? Well, because the other disciple, John, his best friend, Jesus' best friend, got there first, you know, just in case you forgot. He went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, you know, Jesus' best friend, who had reached the tomb first, just in case you forgot, he was here first, also went inside. He saw and believed. And they still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were saying. See, John has this really, two really important points that he's trying to make here uh, about this new covenant. One, 
He's trying to tell us that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, that he's been resurrected, and that this is changing absolutely everything. That's one thing he's trying to tell us. And two, the other really important point he's got here for us is that John can run faster than Peter. (laughs) Over and over and over again, he tells us that, and he wants us to know it. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, which is an interesting little detail because the Bible begins and ends in a garden when everything is perfect. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned around to him and cried out in Arabic, Rabbani, which means rabbi or teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So you, you may not be accustomed to thinking about this, but what we just read here, this, this Easter Sunday morning, um, this is a covenant. This is a promise that God is making to you and to us, to all of us. This is, this is a, a, a promise. This is, the empty tomb um, is a covenant. This is, this is not just a thing that happened way back then, nor, nor is this just some sort of metaphor about how good is overcoming evil. This empty tomb, this Easter Sunday morning is a covenant of a promise that God is making to us that through Jesus Christ, you can have new life, full life, and eternal life. It's a covenant that God's making to you. And, and listen to some of the promises that this new covenant makes. Second um, Corinthians chapter five, for instance, Paul writes this about a promise about this new covenant. Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation, listen to this word, has come. It's here. The new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. New life, that's what he's promising here. New life, the new creation, it's here. And why is it here? Because the tomb is empty. That's what makes this new life possible for us is the tomb is empty. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, full life. Why why are we able to live into full life? Simple, the tomb is empty. Jesus is is risen and this is the the reason why we can have full life. Or John 3, 16, the famous promise from the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, how do we have eternal life? We have eternal life simply for one reason and one reason only, and it's because Jesus is alive and the grave is empty. The tomb is empty. This is God's promise for you. It's a covenant that he's making with you for new life and full life and eternal life. So I wanted to start with Abraham this morning because I wanted you to see um, that this is how God works. This is the character of God, and, and the character of God hasn't changed. That just like with Abraham, God is making a covenant with him. God is making a covenant with us. And, and just like with Abraham, God, God makes this covenant with him, not because he's deserving of this and, or because he's done anything special. Actually, God makes this covenant with him on the heels of his great failure. God, God makes this promise to him um, because, not because he's been especially moral or he's been really religious and he's deserved this kind of thing, but simply because um, this is what God does. God decides to reach out to Abraham 
this failure, this person who's lived in fear, and he makes a covenant with him. And, and just like with Abraham, God is making a covenant with you, a promise with you of new life, of full life, of eternal life. This is God's promise that he's making to you. And I hate to burst your bubble, but God isn't making this promise with you, this covenant with you, because you deserve it. He's not making this promise with you because you've been especially moral or because you're really good at church or because you're really religious or because you know all the words to the Apostles' Creed. God's not making this promise with you because you're going to watch four other Easter services today. God's making this promise with you simply because he's giving you a gift, a gift of new life and full life, eternal life, a gift. This is a gift, pure and simple, something he wants to give to you. This is what this is. It's a gift. Not too long ago, I was talking to a man who was, who was dealing with um, a lot of hard things in life. Uh, this guy was coming off of a divorce and he was dealing with the aftermath of a divorce. And so we got together to talk about this and we were, he was struggling through things like anger and forgiveness and grief, you know, the kinds of things that, that you would deal with on the other side of a divorce. He, he also was struggling with and had a history of addiction. So we were talking about some of those kinds of things. And, and, um, and what I found in my work is that those kinds of stories are far more common than, than I maybe thought they were at one time. These are common stories, and maybe, that's, maybe it's your story as well, but they're definitely not unusual. And so we're talking together about how to get past these things. And, and basically, I just I start sharing him some of these thoughts I've shared with you so far today, that God was inviting him into something different, and um, that God had a, a gift for him of new life and full life and eternal life, and, and that this is a gift that God wants to give him. It's, it's, just a, it's just a promise for him. It's not dependent on what he's done or could have done or should have done or might have done differently. It's just, just simply this, just simply a gift that he's, he's offering to him. And because of this gift, um, those things that are in our past can stay in our past and we can have a new future. And so I just, I was sharing these kinds of things with him about what God has done and given him this gift to him. And as I shared these kinds of things, he said to me very simply, he just said, Spencer, I don't deserve this. And I don't know how this how often this happens to you, but it happens to me a lot where, uh, I find myself in situations where I have no idea what to say. And this is one of those times, I, like he says this to me, I don't deserve this. And, and I, I find myself like, I don't know what to say. I don't know, I don't know how to explain this differently. I, I feel like I explained it clearly. I don't know how to, how to make this point in a different kind of way. Like I just, I, I don't know what to say. And, and so I, I sat there in kind of awkward silence for a few moments. And, and then I, I shared with him some words. And as I shared with him these words, I, I realized that these were not nearly as comforting words as I thought they were when I, when I thought it's about saying them. But you know, he says to me, I don't deserve this. And we sit in awkward silence and I, I just look him in the eye and I say, you know, you're right. I, you don't deserve this. And frankly, neither do I. This is why it's a gift. None of us deserve this. None of us deserve this. This is just the, the character of God. We don't deserve this. This is simply what he's done for us, his, his love and his promises he makes to us. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve to be the recipients of his goodness. We, we don't deserve to receive his blessing. We don't deserve to, to receive this gift of new life and full life and eternal life. We don't deserve this. You're absolutely right. We don't deserve this. Um, but just as God didn't throw away Abraham, God's not throwing away us. He's not throwing away you. Just as God didn't cast him aside, he doesn't cast you aside. Instead, what he does is he makes a covenant, a covenant of new life and full life and eternal life. This is what God does. He, he's offering you this gift. And so the question is not, do you deserve it? And the question is not, have you earned it? Rather, the question is, is really just, um, have you received it? Have you received this gift of new life, this covenant, this promise that God is making with you? Because you see, this is what, what faith is. Faith is, is the acceptance that this is true for me. Faith is the openness 
that, that says, I'm going to receive what, what he's done for me. Faith, faith is, is the turn in life where we realize that what's in our past doesn't have to be our future. And, and faith is the turn in life where we realize that I don't have to live by fear because the one who conquered the grave, the worst thing that can happen to us, the one who defeated death, like I belong to him. And if the grave is empty, then, then therefore I, I have this promise of, of new life and full life and eternal life. This is, this is what I have here. And so, and so faith is, is the trust that if death has been defeated and that the tomb is empty, that there is a promise, a promise, a covenant of new life, full life and eternal life. And so today I, I know that we have people watching this from all over. Some of you are part of our church and some of you aren't. Um, some of you are religious and some of you aren't. Some of you are faithful and some of you probably aren't. And I, I just, I just want to offer you this, whoever you are today as you're watching this, um, wherever you're watching this from, I want to offer you a simple invitation, a simple invitation. It's an, it's an invitation to receive a gift of new life and full life and eternal life. It's, it's an invitation that you don't have to live in fear you don't have to live wondering about all the what ifs and you also don't have to live with a past that has to be your future. You can have new life, full life and eternal life because this is the covenant, the promise that God is making with you because the grave is empty. The question is, have you received it? Have you received this gift that God wants to give to you? Let's pray together. And so Father, today, on Easter Sunday, when we celebrate resurrection and the hope that you have for us, I, I thank you that you have given us a gift that all you want for us is to receive. You're not looking for us to earn it or deserve it. You're not looking for us to achieve some sort of moral or religious standard. You just want to give us a gift. And so for anyone who's watching today and, and seeing this message and they're thinking about this, I, I pray, God, that we might receive this gift. And for anyone who hasn't received this gift and they don't know where they stand with you, they don't know if they've had this new life and full life and eternal life that you give them, Lord, would today be a day where they can put their faith in you, where they begin to this, live this new life of believing and trusting that what you have done is enough for them. And so for anyone who wants to receive this gift today, I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. A simple prayer of, of just saying, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? And would you give me this gift of new life and full life and eternal life? May I start to live in a relationship with you in a new kind of way. And I thank you, God, that it, all you're looking for us is just to receive what you have. And so today, may we live in the promise of new life the promise of full life and the promise of eternal life because the grave is empty and we can live with you. In the name of Jesus, who died and rose again, we pray. Amen. I was buried beneath my shame could carry that kind of weight It was my tomb Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I 
Friends, it's been so good to join together in worship today. I hope that you have experienced the, the hope of resurrection today, the hope of Easter. And as you go from here, know that you don't have to live in fear because the grave is empty, Jesus is alive, and we have hope in all things. We'll be together next Sunday at 9.02. If this has been helpful for you, I encourage you to share this with your friends, your family, and to share uh, the words of hope of Easter that we have together. Have a great week. God bless you. Amen. Amen.